listening. I should have had a Sharp bites with his teeth fade that keeps him early white. Just a jackknife, as old Maggie said, that keeps it out of sight. You know, when that shark bites with his teeth fade, scarlet billows start to spread. Fancy gloves, though, as old Mac Heath made. So there's never, never a trace of red found out on the sidewalk. Mmm, Sunday morning, uh-huh. Bow, bow, lies a body just oozing life. Eat, and now Mac Heath spends just like a sailor. Da, 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 da. Is it me? Our boys done something right. Ah, da, da, Jenny Diver. Hey, ho, it's Suki Tawdry. Ooh, Miss Laurie Linda. And old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line forms on the right. Bay, ba da ba da. Now that Mackey's back in town. Ah, look, old old Mackey's back. Mac the knife, by uh, as performed by Bobby Darren, but originally. Kurt Vile song based on a Bertolt Breck uh, lyrics from the Three Penny Opera. Who doesn't love Weimar culture, huh? Someone says that they are coming back to the streams after checking out for a while. Should I? How should you go back and look at anything else? I would say. The last four or so, I feel like I'm kind of getting somewhere, and uh, that a lot of the stuff that I've said in the last couple of days, I'm hoping to work together to be part of the book that I'm in the process of putting together. So I would I would recommend those. But I figured today I'm just gonna chill because I've been running a little hot. I want to cool off the uh, the old motors, uh, but I still wanted to you know check in because I won't be able to stream tomorrow. So. And maybe talk things out. Maybe by talking to you people, decide what book to do next so we can get ready, get to reading it. But uh, no real agenda beyond just saying hi. This is, of course, why I am wearing the Hawaiian shirt to indicate this is sort of a uh, changes of attitude, changes in latitude style episode. Uh, we're going to have a cheeseburger in paradise. We're going to waste away again. In uh, in Matthew Christmanville, searching for our last vial of DMT. Some people say that it's a long, long way, but I don't. It's my own damn fault. I don't know if I've ever said this on stream before, but I went to the 
um, the Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville restaurant on the Las Vegas Strip a few years ago was not where I would have wanted to have fucking dinner. That's for sure. It was just got in late and it was inconvenient to eat anywhere else. And so I figured, all right, I'll order the cheeseburger at Margaritaville, the cheeseburger in paradise, as it were. And I got it, and my God, a more mediocre burger I could not conceive of, sort of almost platonically mediocre. And I'm sorry, but you're it's the cheeseburger in paradise. Come on, man. Come on, man. How about we get some action on that, Joe Biden, since we're not going to get anything else? We're literally, I hope everyone is ready for this. I hope everybody is prepared to get nothing else from these fucking people. After spending the first two months of these people's fucking uh, administration going, oh my God, it might, maybe they are FDR all over again because they just cut a check that by, that Trump would have cut. I think I, I honestly feel like everyone has been sort of uh, ne- negligent, including myself, in pointing out during that whole fucking argument about like how radical this was, how much of a departure from neoliberalism or o- Obama it was, that those checks would have gotten cut by Trump if he'd won. They're the same checks that Trump already cut before. The checks that would have been bigger if the Democrats had not interfered with them. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers this uh, because it's time to move, you know, the news moves at the speed of, of light now, but Nancy Pelosi sandbagged a deal that would have delivered checks and relief before the 2020 election. This needs to be stressed. She admitted it. And the logic was very simple. A big check before the election guarantees that Trump will win. And the thing is, she might have been fucking right. And so everybody who was rooting against Trump, and that includes leftists who hate Democrats, have to ask themselves, Uh, Was doing that on behalf of a Biden presidency, was that worth the extra suffering that happened? The deaths. Let's not fucking put too fine a point on it. People died because those checks were late. I don't. Does anyone deny that? Could anybody deny that? Because the idea that uh, austerity and lapses in uh, uh, like redistribution of income to where to where it's needed as opposed to where it's accumulated. Like that active redistribution of income uh, saves lives, and that the loss of it loses it. Like how many thousands of people has uh, have has the Labor Party accurately, or at least the Corbinite Labor Party accurately? How many people? Uh, were estimated to have died because of the brutal austerity that Britain did after, uh, after the, um, uh, after the uh, economic collapse. Much more austere than America. I mean, obviously, Obama didn't do a lot, and Obama uh, 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 codified, you know, the, the mass theft of of, uh, of homes through through the dispossession of the people who were the, the victims, not the perpetrators of the financial uh, uh, crime, in order to pay back the criminals. But in terms of just redistribution, there was stimulus. The Brits did no stimulus because they had a bigger welfare state to start with. They just started cutting it. And hundreds of thousands of people are claimed 
and were claimed by the labor by the Corbin's labor to have been killed by austerity. And I think that logic holds. People are on a knife's edge in countries like this, where you are disciplined with poverty, with uh, not just like deprivation, but inability to support your own life because you can't go out into the fucking woods. You can't sustain yourself. You don't have the skills. You don't have the access to land to subsist. You're at the mercy of the market. If the market doesn't have something for you to do that it wants to remunerate you with money for, then you have no alternative but to actually fall towards being kicked out of the system, being turned into a post-apocalyptic subject like we talked about, about how the apocalypse is here. Like you could have been kicked out of early early uh, capitalist systems and fa- fallen out of urban environments uh, in, in like the medieval era, but the, the possibility of subsistence existed, like skills existed. It would have been dangerous and you probably would have died, but there would have been at least a idea of viability of a lifestyle to be kicked out of uh, the market now with no skills, no access to land, no social networks. This is to be a post-apocalyptic subject. This is to be somebody living in the aftermath of the climate collapse we're all terrified of or the nuclear war that the fucking uh, that the Cold War was supposed to result in. Any of those apocalypses, the survivors are live they the lives that you fear uh, happening to your kids or to yourself when you're older are happening right now to people who have fallen out of the market relationship. And that means that the things that sustain you immediately go away. Like access to medical care, access to basic nutrition, uh, access to housing, and the inherent uh, stability provided by that. So people are on a knife's edge at all times in this country. More money means people are more stable, less likely to be pushed overboard into an overdose, into some sort of reckless uh, act that causes injury or death, uh, into not being able to deal with a medical condition or getting one imposed on you. By your exposure to uh, the elements without being able to sustain yourself. So we have to say that happened to people because of the tactical decision of Pelosi and the Democrats not to make a deal. Now, you have to ask yourself when you try to condemn that, because I saw a lot of left-wing, left-wing people condemning Pelosi for doing that before the election. But these were the same left-wing people who had said, either to themselves or publicly, that as bad as the Democrats are, it was important that Trump loses, that they were hoping but Biden won, that they voted for Biden, that they were invested in a Biden victory. If that's the case, then I'm sorry, Nancy Pelosi did the right thing. She sacrificed those people to get the Democrats in. Now, if the bill that the Republicans passed in uh, the face of that resistance and only after they lost the election would probably would have would have uh, definitely passed before the election without the Democrats and would probably have passed in a similar form to the way it passed after the election. Now, maybe not as big because. You know, now they don't have to get reelected, but the momentum and Trump's position on that and investment in it, I think, would have gotten something done. And also just let's not forget the need to provide some sort of Keynesian stimulus at the demand level just to keep the wheels moving. Like they blew through, they blow in the pinwheel as much as they think they need to keep it going. 
and that would have been necessitated there at the at the bottom of that point. It might not have been as big, but it would have been similar, I think. And so we got a Trump size, a late Trump size recovery bailout uh, for the people. We got money into the system at the point of uh, uh, of paychecks. And if we don't get anything else, then what was the point of all that suffering that was caused? Which, by the way, also does long-term damage to the brand of the Democrats and the ability of the Democrats to actually be a vessel for positive change, which is the implicit under assumption that undergirds support for the Democratic Party, right? But that does I'd not blame anybody for wanting Biden to win. I wanted Biden to win because I was sick of the whole fucking thing. Like the it was every, the, the language, everything was getting too ratcheted up, the emotional fucking tenor relative to the material conditions, which meant that it wasn't going to snap towards some sort of popular revolt. It was going to snap towards some sort of uh, just a further ratcheting up into oblivion. I mean, if it the snap might come like later, but in the near term is just hearing this persistent din. Just and as a guy who's doing a show, I just was sick of talking about the concept of him being president. It was it had reached for me its its comedic potential. And I honestly do believe, especially and I said this before the election. I predict. I will say I, I'm not a very good at predicting things, and I've owned that now finally. But one thing I do say that uh, I predicted accurately is when I said before the election that if Biden won, it's it was going to be because people just wanted to turn the volume down on the TV a little bit. That only that not a smaller percentage of people uh, were interested in some sort of political Ragnarok, some sort of genuine conf- confrontation. They weren't ready for it because things were too good for them. And when you look at what won the election for Biden. Who voted for him? It's clear that that's what happened. We are, of course, in a situation where people are more precarious than ever in America. We are seeing a political breakdown caused by the nervous breakdown of the the white yeoman, the white or not or uh, the middle class American like yeoman who had been bought off since the fucking uh, first expropriation of native lands to now. Uh, and now the buying off is going away, and so precarity is being felt. But the people who are feeling that least in the electorate, white, suburban, college-educated people are the ones who shifted in the largest numbers to Biden. Trump saw, saw his percentage and share and raw number of votes among, uh, more, among people who did not, make, did not go to college go up significantly. And, his, and he did... A gain in working class uh, Latino households. He gained big time along the Rio Grande, which is a heavily Latino uh, area. Uh, he even made small inroads in in uh, in the uh, uh, black vote because for the people for whom this is aesthetic, for whom they don't really want to see anything really change in the system. Uh, there is no appetite for the sort of political confrontation that Trump's persistence in office would have necessitated. The same way that the persistence of uh, sectorial, sectoral political uh, 
emotion is what tipped the balance towards civil war in the 1860s. Because the civil war in, was, not, uh, was not the product of an economic crisis. That needs to be remembered. It, it preceded a fundamental crisis between the two modes of production. At that point, there was still a, a, a relatively smooth machinery connecting southern planta- plantation slavery to northern finance and uh, and foreign export, like the uh, the looms of Manchester were kept moving with southern cotton that was moved through northern finance co- uh, financiers that 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 got the fuck they they northern money northern merchant money moved the the fucking the, the cotton to New York and then got it to Manchester. It worked. But there were contradictions within it that were going to reach a critical point at a critical uh, material point, at the point when the uh, accumulation of entropy in the system exceeds uh, the technological and social advances that, uh, that ameliorate that, um, that entropy. But we hadn't reached that point yet. It was a political conflict. And right now, the thing militating against all language of civil conflict and collapse is the remaining cargo that we're all fighting over right now. Because America still is, in terms of its standard of consumption and living, uh, comfortable. Uh, they have achieved, to a greater degree than almost anybody in, human, in, the, in the human family right now, the dream, that the collective dream that we are all... Uh, imprisoned by now. Now that capitalism is a world system, there can now only be one view of heaven. There can only be one view of the world as it should be sought. There can be only one understanding of the cosmos. One vision of happiness. Vision of heaven. Vision of uh, peace. And that is one in which all uh, all difficulty is amused by convenience. All difficulty in life is ameliorated by access to convenience. And of course, convenience is bought at the cost of massive exploitation of all living resources. Humans, of course, but even as technology uh, uh, replaces human uh inputs into the system that exacerbates the uh the the exploitation and oppression of the fucking biome that is uh carried out by capitalism and sheer waste of course you people saw the video of them smashing new laptops and phones in a in a in a uh, british amazon uh warehouse imagine the human misery that goes into the production of one of those fucking machines, one of those laptops. You guys probably are aware of this. If you're on here, if you're on here trying to exercise the political ghost from your body, if you're, if you're watching this stream, you know what goes into your small, your smartphones and your laptops in terms of what physically goes into them. Sure. They're, they're manufactured in the end state, in factories in Asia, which are, you know, essentially modern sweatshops. Sure. But far more horrifying than that is that there are precious metals 
within these machines that uh, that can only be uh, accessed uh, in regions of the world that are the 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 end point of colonial plunder, the the end extraction point, uh, the the civil uh, the The contours of the Cold War, I would say, the, 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 the whole wars of the 20th century, the, the conflict between capital uh, and humanity that defined the 20th century and was won by capital. The, civil, the, second, the, 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 the Second World War and then Cold War eras was a, as a civil war amongst humanity over who is going to be eating shit for the next hundred years. What way the human centipede of progress was going to be pointed and the winner was the people who weaponized capitalism into a uh, into a national and then civilizational weapon, uh, a, 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 a tool of domination of other systems of economic uh, life, other systems of social life. Uh, it was the it was as Niall Saver Ferguson called it in one of his dumb books, the killer app. Like the stuff that created modern capitalism, the soil that capitalism was built in, which was a medium state con, uh, uh, me, medium state conflict in a context of technological innovation and restraint in Christ uh, and a restraint of resources and and dis, and uh, flows of like uh, trade and stuff. The ferment of, of early modern Europe and Renaissance Europe. In, especially after the fucking Black Death, which had come along to wipe away all of the contradictions that had been accumulated by feudalism, because feudalism had reached, I think, I don't think not enough of, is, of, is made of this, is that at the point that um, the Black Death hit Europe, feudalism had reached its terminal and its terminal point of uh, of, contra- of internal contradiction. It had become completely uh, frozen. It could not respond to conditions. Uh, you had uh, in pre-plague Europe, you had this uh, Malthusian, Malthusian pressure uh, of, of population growth. You had uh, deflation of the currency. You had a, a, a breakdown of trade networks. You had uh, a, a, a liquidity crisis, essentially. There was no way to facilitate trade, and uh, that's because the social forms were un, uh, not amenable to what capitalism necessitated, which was the introduction of relationships of uh, estrangement, of social estrangement that were not conceivable by the feudal world because the feudal world necessitated these social bonds. The thing that kept so feudalism together was not authoritarianism from the top. There was not enough technologically exertable power at the top of feudalism to do that. Nobody had enough power to assert their will individually. It was a bunch of people with on swords with sticks. What they had was social technology. That is the bonds of family, clan, religion that gave people a investment in the outcome of the social project even if they were getting fucked by it, even if they were serfs, the thing that kept them from rebelling. And of course, some of them would, and when conditions got worse, 
in parts of Europe, some of them would rebel and you'd have a peasant's revolt. You'd have a bunch of people massacred. But it those are the punctuations that move you forward uh, to resolve your uh, to resolve the political pr- problems inherent uh, in your mode of production. But by uh, by the the eve of the Black Death, Europe was completely stagnated. Feudalism had reached its terminal crisis, and that's when Malthus intervened in the form of the Black Death. Now. The flip side of this, and the reason that Malthus is not an, a complete ex- description of reality, and why it is almost always pointless to bring up Malthus, is that Malthus did not take into account that technological response to crisis that a civilization, as opposed to just a bunch of wild animals, can come up with. Things like the Green Revolution. Uh, things like fucking... Uh, Antibiotics for a while. I mean, eventually they don't work, but you know, in a, in a near term, they do get they they fix some of these Malthusian questions. But there was no sufficient uh, technology that had been you know uh, brought to bear, at least in Europe, by the developments of uh, slave society and then feudalism that had happened up until that point to accommodate this crisis. So it was solved by Malthus, and in the form of the Black Death. 50% of the population gone. Social fucking bonds were literally uprooted by the hand of God. And the people who were left were in a condition where land was much more bountiful. Labor was much scarcer, which meant that the deal that the peasants could strike for their labor became destabilizing to the author- to the rule. Peasants who could have access to land independent of your ability to coerce them, which existed after the Black Death, necessitated a change in social relationships. It necessitated a new uh, the ability to coerce outside of social bonds, outside of like a religious understanding, something estranged to a market mechanism that transcends all human relationships and that be- replaces God. And so that system wasn't going to sustain itself. If it had persisted, what would have happened is that the uh, the ruling class would have been expropriated by the peasantry because the numbers game would have kicked in. And eventually they would have said, what the fuck do we need you for? Our self-organizing like urban and, and rural communes are using the uh, mutual aid networks that were implicit and inherent and unspoken in a, a bonded social order that feudalism represented we can just uh, imagine, manage this shit ourselves. What the fuck do we need, you assholes, in your fucking uh, 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 fancy frilly outfits and your castles? Oh, it's because you, so you guys can all fight it out over control? We never have any say in it. So what happened is, is that the ruling class, the ruling, the ruling feudal elite, to protect their near-term interests, destroyed their long-term interests. Because short-termism is the endemic la- uh, vocabulary of, of, uh, of a crisis. There is no long-term, so you only think short-term. And that's what the feudal lords did. And they, 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 they sustained uh, and they allowed for the creation of this merchant culture in the cities. Protestantism was like fucking gasoline on the fire of that. They let this happen 
because they were in a contest for power with other powers. And by that point, you had stable states, a stable state system, especially after Westphalia at the end of the Thirty Years' War, that creates a situation where, all right, you have fixed environments. Now you're going to compete over resources. And there is no superseding authority. God cannot help you. This is pure might. And the only way to win that fight is to be more efficient. And the only way to be more efficient is to replace the, uh, the, 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 the local and the temporally fixed social uh, life and imagination and culture and economy of the feudal order and replace it with a depersonalized, alienated, uh, 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 symbolic economy. You take the rule that was pers that persisted in the in the symbols of religion, the cross, the and replace it with the symbol of currency, of exchange, of the market, and that is the transition. You kill God and replace it with the market because the market becomes the thing we all actually worship. It's the only thing that actually motivates us. And it is, unlike God, totally alienated from man, as it has to be to facilitate this level of exploitation. The level of exploitation that would allow you to say, to get back to the fucking laptops they destroyed in England, that the horrifying spear point exploitation that is no different than primitive accumulation under in the Iron Age, of putting guns to people's neck and making them dig fucking metal out of the ground, the same way that slaves did in Italy two thousand year tradition, technology and culture and refinement and all the better angels that Steve Pinker talks about, none of them exist there. There's been no progress because that point of maximal exploitation has never been alleviated. The boot has never come off the neck. But that that happened so abstracted from us. The levels of responsibility are so far from us. Our sense of responsibility as beneficiaries within a system that pulls that shit out of the ground in Africa through the accumulated, hyper-exploited slave misery of people, that pain goes into that work, that labor. The labor that has to be slave labor because you there is not enough money you could pay someone to have them do it. And they have to do it that way to make it profitable to do. Otherwise, you have to use uh, technology, and technology costs money. As long as you can buy human labor at the, work, at the price of somebody holding a gun and not somebody actually doing the work, because you can pay somebody a hell of a lot less to stand around with a gun than you would have to pay somebody to go into a hole and dig out the fucking earth and dig the shit out of there. That, no one would, no one would think of destroying a fucking computer that was produced by that kind of horror if they felt at all responsible for it. And at no point of the system that allows for that thing to be made and then smashed has anyone had, had to interact with it. If they were in the fucking pit with the person, if they were watching, they would have to come to terms with it. They would either become the guy with the gun or they would fight on behalf of the person being forced. You would have to do one or the other 
If you sat there next to that long enough, you would have to do one or the other. But the reason that this thing is going to kill the earth is because every scream is going unheard. The scream of the earth, the scream of the fucking trees, the scream of the animals, the scream of the fucking air, the scream of the oceans, the scream of every person who is being mutilated spiritually and physically to service this fucking thing are all unheard. Because there's no one who is there in the room to hear them. The person in the room hearing that, the guy holding the gun in that room, he's got bigger fucking problems, man. His choices are the being at this end or being at the other end. And when you have that choice, of course that's the one you're going to make. But you, comfortable beneficiary of this product, you, you don't have that relationship to that moment. You've been civilized. Your distance from violence and exploitation, your distance from power and, its, and, and the exercise of power has made it so that you get to enjoy the benefits of these things without considering the cost. And the system continues producing these outcomes, the fucking poisoning and the acidification of the ocean, the destruction of the fucking biome, the mass immiseration of the human population spiritually and, and physically, the, the reduction of the fucking uh, carrying capacity of Earth through mass through uh, microwaving of the fucking atmosphere. None of those are being counted. No one is thinking about them when they make a decision because that is on somebody else. Because like I said, when you're in the room with the most powerful people in the world, there's one person in the room, like Elijah sitting at the, at the edge of the table, who isn't actually there, and that is capital. And what that means is that you abdicate within capitalism all responsibility to capitalism, which means capital is responsible for all of it, which means, hey, if I benefit from my relationship to this system and I get to sup at, the, at, at its teats, I get to uh, live life where I don't have to dig for my existence, where I don't have to provide alienating painful labor, where I don't have to spend time in my body uncomfortably. I can do that, but then I don't. Uh, but I don't have to extract it directly from somebody else. Oh my God, who wouldn't take that deal? Because it's there. It's the fault of the the of the market. The market's making us do this, and that's what libertarians mean when they say that that's what liberty means. Because they are spiritually dead, but they've been they have been spiritually lobotomized by capitalism. They recognize a situation where because capitalism does at the end of the day enforce itself on people people do not exert their force on it therefore freedom cannot be possible under capitalism uh libertarians basically say yes but you can create a system where some people where all you can create a situation where culturally all of the people who are benefiting from a thanks to technology all of the people who are benefiting from the dividing of earth into two spheres, exploiters and exploited, where the misery of the one becomes more and more and the luxury and decadence of the other becomes more and more, you can make a situation where the political concept of a human person only applies to people who benefit from the system. And that is a situation where, yes, you are pursuing maximal liberty because the people who will be ground into disgusting the people who are going to be ground into dog food 
by the system, by the division of people into the exploiter and the exploited class. They don't count. They're not really supposed to be here. They have failed in the meritocratic contest of the market. And really, that is what all strains of liberalism broadly defined, meaning conservatism, meaning fascism, yes, meaning fascism, meaning uh, um, meaning uh, left liberalism, as we understand it, like the, the, the vocabulary of the left online and in culture of social liberalism, girded to capitalism, all of them have the same logic which is that you're going to, in the future, create a situation where there is maximal hyper-exploitation in your face on the very other side of maximal decadence. And it's going to be enforced by a regime of technology and market relationships. And that that is going to be it. And you don't have to actually do the exploiting, but you have to watch. The machines will do the exploiting. You have to watch. And if you're okay with it, if you feel okay with it, and you've created a situation where everybody feels okay with it, then you have created a system of maximal personal liberty. The anarchist uh, dream, the anarchist dream, uh, the libertarian dream, the dream of fully luxurated, autom uh, fully lu automated luxury, whatever you want to call it, communism, heaven on earth, everyone free, everyone free from market coercion, everybody e able to exercise their own uh, desires in life, free of any friction. Why? Because friction has been taken up by everybody outside the bubble. But you have to be okay with it. And that's what libertarianism strives to do, create a system where the people who count as people don't care. They think it's good. They think it's the world working itself out as it should be. The left alternative to this, and it's the only one, the bar it's the socialism to that barbarism is uh, the competing argument that we can get to that point. We can get to that point where we're all free in a way that everybody living in the system would understand themselves to be free, free to live, free to explore ourselves in our time and uh, life, free of the friction of the coercion because of the provision of of a bounty now is that possible in the near term hell no not even the medium term but as like a long term like the way kim stanley robinson imagines it or even longer it's certainly possible but it would have its basis in a political movement that overthrows this notion and replaces it with a bedrock human solidarity as like a religious as in believed in with the power of religion to counteract the belief that is the, to the power of uh, metaphysical in money that currently rules, a counter-hegemonic value system because it's spiritual. We talk about how it's, it, uh, capitalism has is, is killed God. It has replaced God. It is spiritual. People fight for capitalism with, the, with their spirit as much as the fucking crusaders did. They believe what they're doing. Now, fuck. Right now, they don't have to do much but kind of watch everything because the system is running technologically and um, technocratically. 
But that's going to change with time as conditions deteriorate. And the, the violence is going to get more in our face. It's going to be harder to look away from. And we're going to have to decide whether to be participants uh, and which side we're going to be participants on. And what's going to motivate people to pick the side of capital, even though they think it's race or they think it's uh, uh, they think that it's religion because they're all evangelical fucking Christians. Uh, they think it's rational. They think that it's logical. It's all, it's a holy war. It's a holy war on behalf of capital where, where there is no human community. Humanity doesn't exist. I am the only thing that exists. We are all competing gods without any ability to uh, humble oneself in front of the other for fear of being destroyed because the social, uh, the, the, the metaphysical connection does not transcend our separateness. That's the underlying assumption, and it is a religious one because it's not scientific. It's not rational. It is religious. It was created by capitalism. It is forged from capitalist relations, social relations. And it will be not defeated from within. Like all, like I say, this is why we have to disengage emotionally if we can't uh, uh, otherwise from the meaning behind our current culture war. There is no way to fight this war and be on a side uh, uh, helpfully. You can try to convince yourself, yes, these specific issues are are, are a distraction, but you, ha- you have to use the opportunity to like critically, like popular front critically support. And I'm not saying it's like going to hurt anything to do it. That it's just going to make you. It's harder for you to do anything that matters, because what you are doing is by feeding this thing on any side of it, and that means if you're doing like critical support for, uh, you know, we need to talk. We need to support critical race theory right now because it's under attack from these uh, anti-democratic uh, white supremacists. We have to talk about this stuff all the time. Or if you're saying we need to fight them, we need to we need to purge. We need to expose the fake corporate global homo left uh, and their adherence to this cynical culture war so that they can uh, so that we can reassert class politics. You're not reasserting class politics. You're reaffirming the general brand of petty bourgeois reaction, national capitalism. That's all that you're doing. Those are the two sides. And you're just providing uh you're providing the the actual content that makes up this spectacle uh to replace the actual energy being displaced within the political system itself Oh man, this was supposed to be a chill one. I was supposed to be chill today. Fuck. How about join an anti-imperialist, anti-racist organization? Go for it. I don't I would never begrudge anybody any active thing that they want to do because I'm not in their position. I don't know. I have nothing 
I have no actual uh, advice that I would feel comfortable giving on any question of what someone should do in their life to contribute to their political identity because it's not my life. I've, I, I thought about this today. I was, I was thinking about how one of the real problems, one of the real difficulties in trying to create a, uh, a cultural uh, uh, force around like explicit left social critique, left politics, is that because we have replaced our individual social lives with this sort of uh, transcendent public space that includes like the entire country in some respect, some percentage or another, even though it's of course wildly distorted to be urban and like young and professional. Like that's, that's the, that's the demographic of the people who are doing most of this tweeting, the people who make up the culture of it. That's, and that's because that's who makes, that's who generates the bulk of consumption of all culture is that what more well off one way or the other uh, and the younger of the two, like if you want to break down dem- demographics as those two, two uh, axes, younger and wealthier, that is who is traditionally the uh, the audience for entertainment. Now that entertainment used to be largely the product of uh, a centralized professional process: Hollywood movies, television networks, then fi- then cable, uh, that kind of stuff, books published by authors, things that people watched, read, engaged with, newspapers, magazines. Now, thanks to changes in technology, thanks to change in social relationships, we live in a time when that, when a big chunk of that media space, that entertainment space, has been replaced by us watching each other. Us using technology, social media specifically, to watch each other. And the thing about that is that that is a much cheaper for capital investment. Because you don't have to actually produce anything. You just have to perform. You just have to uh, create the platform. So for like Silicon Valley, this is perfect. Like they, they don't have to worry about creating an infrastructure. That's old fashioned. That's the Fordist economy. We can't afford that anymore. LOL. We cannot afford the Fordist model. We cannot afford labor peace. We have to maximally exploit labor. We have to minimize costs. Because, background to all of this, rate of profit is declining. So they're going to fucking, and so we're going to spend more time, and we also, of course, all of us, because we're getting more self-absorbed, because there's nobody else to care about, because we spend all our time alone. Of course we only want to see ourselves. We don't know anybody else. We can't feel confident and comfortable around anybody else. Everybody else is becomes a, a less real. We, in a fundamental way, they become less real to us. We take over that reality. We take over that place that used to be for other people, people that you spent time with.
And that's where there are like our political uh, shit is that that's what this is. Uh, that's what all politics media is. It's part of this new form of entertainment. It is a genre of entertainment. It is not any kind of uh, uh, countercultural object outside of capitalism that can challenge it meaningfully. But as I said, there is no replacing for most people realistically the day-to-day experience of depending on this infrastructure because it has replaced vital parts of us. We are now cyborgs. So we do not, we can't say fuck it. We can't say just indulge with it because that does, that's the entertainment. That is the fucking thing for, that's the DVD that, uh, that um, David Foster Wallace predicted. And he was just a little too old to get it, to get it right because he, he didn't have the imagination for it because the internet hadn't emerged yet. It was, he did that in the mid nineties. People thought the internet was going to be virtual reality for fuck's sake. In Infinite Jest, if anyone's read it, there is this DVD, basically, that if you watch it, it's so entertaining, you'll die. You will not do anything else. You will just waste away watching it. And it's used as a terror weapon by these uh, Quebec separatists. And we've created that. It's just, it's the internet. We have created a way to amuse ourselves to death. It's the internet. But one of the consequences of we get, us getting to a point where something like the entertainment is possible means that we have given over a significant percentage of our souls in that parts of ourselves that form our identity from the internet because we spend so much time there. And even if we all decide tomorrow to stop we have spent so much time there. That time spent there doesn't just go off. You're not just wasting it. You are reinforcing emotional relationships. You are reinforcing, you are having memories that are suffused with emotional connections to certain phenomena, certain things you saw, certain things you liked or didn't like, uh, things you said, things you read. Experiences are being had. They're simulacrum of experiences, but they have real emotional effects that linger physically, that form your understanding of the world. And they're at, and that they're accumulating in a thin gruel. It is like a thin. It's it's very nutrient light, but that's why we get sick. We're spiritually malnourished by this shit. But it still is feeding us, and we cannot get rid of it completely because we have nothing to replace it with. So we have to wean ourselves, not necessarily ever hoping to be totally broken free because then that creates the anxiety around, am I ever going to actually get there? I think if you accept that you're always going to be somewhat connected to online just because of the necessities of the fact that we live in a world created by and for people who are that far from each other. You need it. How you deal use it is the question. And so everybody who has a role within this system there, if there is a responsibility to be had, as in a thing that will make them feel better about doing it, not a thing that's being imposed from without, a thing that's being imposed from within. Like, if you do it, it'll make you feel better. If you don't do it, you will feel worse. You might try to convince yourself that it's something else that's the problem. You might try to convince yourself, actually, no, the reason I'm not happy is because 
uh, I haven't achieved X yet, then I will. This is not uh, dissatisfaction from the fact that I'm doing something that isn't helpful. This is uh, instead just the discontent of not getting a fulfillment of my final perfect state, such as being totally de- uh, taken away or totally detached from the internet. Uh, a totalizing state, an eschaton. You can try, but you need to be replacing as you uh, wean. And that means you have to search yourself as you break free. If you're not feeling satisfied, where does the dissatisfaction really come from? Realizing that if any anything is formulated around the internet, any emotional connections there, any, any level where that is providing you with uh, an excuse for why you don't feel good, then you can examine and sort of detach and, and look under a microscope at where that's coming from and then hopefully neutralize the, the thing that's pulling you away from your instincts about what you should be doing. Like, that's the thing. The hope of socialism is the hope that through the creation the, the breaking of the wheel of history and the, re, the resettling of it and, and like a new blueprint working from that over time you will create a situation where social relationships are such that the vast majority of people who are born – and when I say people, I mean human motherfucking beings, not any, not any socially cons, uh, defined subset of, but all of them within the system of earth, not of any specific fucking uh, national polity. Every person within that system is self-policed to a large extent by a commitment to that system because it benefits them. They feel the benefit. Now, the faith of capital is that that's not possible, that that kind of, that that sort of social relationship is unattainable because of the metaphysical reality of human uh, separation, that you can't create a social order that uh, runs on belief in itself. Now, we have for a fact, we know for a fact that's not true, though, from human civilization. We know that there are bonds that can be, that can transcend the self sufficient to police a group of people and sometimes a significant number of them but it's conflict with other people that generates the disruption of that only once you get past the point of there being other people can you get back to that point but it's possible And it's not imposed by pain and oppression and and propaganda. It is seeing in your life the benefits of the social arrangement, having good experiences that you ascribe to the social arrangement. And therefore, when you think, should I do this thing or that thing? 
The thing making that decision is a sense of self that is encompassing outside of the self. So we know it's possible for people to live that way. And then we just have to get to a point where our understanding of human is all encompassing and our degree of technological and our, of, uh, of, uh, our degree of technological advancement, both social and physical material, the material reality of like labor saving technology and like uh, uh, algorithmic replacing of like economic functions to increase efficiency because capitalism is defined by this ma- massive inefficiency that's going to be the thing that destroys us. It fucking it, it it creates efficiency, but does not create alienation. And that was the problem with actually existing socialism in the 20th century, is that it created alienation because people were still being alienated from their labor. They were still employees who did not control the end product of their labor because that was being defined as a consumption and they didn't have anything to consume. They were in competition with the West. They had to tighten their belts. And then Khrushchev tried to compete with the United States on the question of consumption and failed. We talked about this a couple days ago. You have to create a situation where the social benefits of the social order, not just that it keeps a roof over your head, that it gives you a sense of life that is unalienated, that gives you a sense of control of your choices without there being a uh, the din of like a, uh, uh, like the tyranny of capitalist choice, where every choice is the wrong one because you're gonna get things are only gonna get worse, and you're gonna be a, and you're just gonna miss, you're gonna feel bad about the choice you didn't make. You're gonna be able to make free choices. And a system like that, people would provide their own policemen, but in the in the Foucaultian sense, but not on behalf of capital or of a ruling class, on behalf of everybody. So we know that's possible. The question is, can we? push through it progressively through capitalism and socialism. And the most important thing, though, the thing that really makes it, uh, that really makes the choice between these clear and why nobody of any kind of clear heart or mind can pick fucking uh, capitalism is that if you assume that capitalism is correct in, in that belief, and it is a belief, because you're talking about a metaphysical question that cannot be defined. You're just deciding at a certain point you're going to give up asking the questions and decide that that's reality. And that's what rationalism, that's what enlightenment, that's what liberalism is going to create. A total uh, uh, alienation of the spirit from life and the replacement with belief in self. Even if, if that is the only way humans can live. And therefore you should support capitalism and hope you get lucky enough to end up on the right side of the of the dam and that you stay in the middle and if you're an american hey and if you're listening to this you might actually have a good chance at that not most of you won't of course and that's the whole thing the vast majority will fall into the mouth of the mon- the lion but it won't matter as long as some make it through
As long as some make it through, that's going to keep a lot of people believing in it. Even if you end up there, you end up, you end up in Elysium. You end up living in your little fully automated luxury space, space jam on the other side of the glass watching. Remember, being at that point has alienated you from who you are. Like all of these liberals, all these, all these uh, 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 woke liberals who want to use meritocracy shorn of racial uh, guilt as the metric for who win, lives and who dies. That's, they want meritocracy as much as, um, as the right does. The only difference is what they think merit means. Do they think that merit comes from uh, the uh, – do they think that merit comes from the earth in the form of bloodlines? Like that's the right way. These are both – these are just – this is just a split within liberalism. Remember, this is just a split in the Enlightenment. Uh, the right, the whole right says that the, uh, the, the line here, the, 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 divide, the thing that divides humanity into the, into the winners and losers, the, the, the miser- the, those who are made miserable and those who feast upon their misery, uh, is the land. It's, it's the blood. It is nature's distribution. The cat, the God's hand being cast. Whoever rules should rule. The liberal argument that splits off from this, and that has become the non-socialist left too, is no, no. We make this choice. We as humans get to decide. Well, how do you decide? If we're making the decision, if God, the world, the actual settled conditions don't make it, who makes it? Well, then we make it. How do we make it? There's no metric that works. There's no metric that a person who is making that decision is going to choose to be on the other side. No one will. And remember, the people making the drawing the line are by definition the people who are being uh, benefiting. This is what a, a capitalist superstructure is. It is a culture made by the people who benefit from exploitation. Yes, they are exploited too, many of them, but they feel like they benefit. They feel connected to it. They feel power. They're empowered. If they didn't have the power to write the documents and to create the laws and to enforce them, they wouldn't be able to. And that power comes from feeling like they're benefiting from a social arrangement. So they're always going to draw themselves on the line of uh, the angels. And that line, the only one that you can draw is you have the right opinions. You have the right spirit. You have the right soul. You are good. Good and bad. It's the only way. Good and bad. Boil down to it, good and bad. How do you determine who is good and bad? There's two axes. There's the axis of who do we need to be able to actually staff this government Who are we going to need to be able to provide the human element of labor that is necessary to keep this thing going? And also, um, who has done good or bad things in life? And so one axis of that is just the the vocabulary of uh, 
of dessert theory that undergirds liberalism. We have capitalism, and if you do well, you are uh, uh, rewarded. You do poorly, you are punished. Of course, that's actually just nature grinding through the world. That's not any kind of fucking... that's not anyone's fault. No one deserves to be punished for this. It's going to determine whether or not you can uh, live. And and on the moral side of this question of good, it's because it's, are you a good person in two ways? Are you useful? That's where the meritocracy part comes in. Get those. Uh, let's make sure that uh, the SAT isn't racially biased. We still need the SAT. We still need a system of higher education to identify the most uh, abstractly gifted students who can then perform the knowledge work at the headquarters of capitalism. Like we need to, um, we still need these people and we need to have a way to find them. So that's why we need things like higher education. We need things like standardized tests, but we don't want to feel bad about it. We want it to be purely dispassionate. We want it to be the market. We, want, we don't want it to be us. So that means we have to make them non-racist SATs, non-racist uh, uh, tests. Of course, that's still determining people based on the luck of the abilities they have. And if you don't luck into those abilities, you're fucked. Now, what la- racial liberalism does is it says, no, no, a lot of those people at the bottom are only there because, darn it, of the racism of these bad white people. So therefore I get to stay on the good side because now I deserve to be there because of my abilities. And also uh, I would sacrifice some portion of other white people on this side of the, uh, of the line to bring in more unjustly uh, persecuted and unjustly oppressed black people. And then we will all together Thrive. But of course, once you draw the line, right? Once you've created the Schmidian exception in law, which is where we're headed, one way or the other, whichever of these two wins, unless something else breaks the conflict. Uh, when that draw- line gets drawn, the people who are going mis- to get immiserated are going to be a combination of people for whom it's just sad. They're the legacy of racism, and it's not, it's not fair that they're there, but there's nothing to be done about it. And the people who are being punished righteously for making that happen. It's your fault. This is your fault, white people. And you get to feel like a good white for condemning the whites while just shrugging at the economic necessity of condemning the non-whites. And so that is why, if there is no, if that is the end point, if if we have re- gone past the point when socialism, metaphysically understood, can 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 cut, have a, have actually coherently uh, break into that conflict and destabilize it, turn it from a two-way war into a three-way war. If that doesn't happen at the level of politics, uh. The, the 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 final war will just be about who suffers will it be those who have been decreed by uh the by history to suffer those who suffer now or will there be an attempt to reorientate uh the the laser beam the death ray to take in others of course the main thing that is up 
need to be stressed here is that the immiseration is total no matter what. Everybody, the vast majority of people, are going to get ground into jerky. But because we'll be consuming this through the lens of culture, what we're going to see is either one triumphing or the other. But neither one will be triumphing because everyone will be mutually being dissolved. It will be cannibals all until there's only the little band of uh, rulers who will then drive each other insane and themselves insane with their captivity and, and emptiness. Because what will they have had to be? What will they have had to do to themselves to be in a position to watch that happen and be okay with it? The movie that gets this better than anything, I hate to... No, I love to uh, to draw a pop culture comparison because watch this movie after listening to this and you will get what I'm saying conceptually. Zardoz. Uh, the H.G. Uh, Wells' Time Machine. But, but with the emphasis that the Eloi do not live in heaven. The Eloi's heaven is destroyed by the neuroses of those who are within it. The people who are going to survive this coming fucking culling at the right, on the right end of the glass are going to be unable to sit with themselves for even a second. They will be so racked with neuroses and horror and self-obsession. They will be so infused with their own isolation. They will be so lonely. They will be so convinced of their own metaphysical uh, uh, solipsism. And they will be so unable to reconcile the concept of their own death more than anything. They will be unable to reconcile death because they will not be able to imagine anything existing outside of their consciousness because they have made their consciousness in every sense the only reality. A social life, one of the things it does is it allows us to live in a world beyond our own minds. Parts of our minds are in the minds of others, and we know that. Like, we have mutual experiences. We fuse at the level of emotional connection. And that means that our minds expand beyond ourselves. Whatever is going to get you to the end of uh, the Zardoz world, whatever spiritually mutilation you do to yourself, or you've been acculturated to just by where you grew up, is going to uh, consume you internally. Because you will have to, because there is no, God is, everything, which means he's nothing, right? It is, there becomes a point when you have experienced every possible experience and differentiation and distinction becomes impossible. That's why we can't conceive of heaven. That's why we can't conceive of eternity of any kind. We can't really imagine going to hell either because people always think, wouldn't you get used to it? And it's like, yeah, you would. Eventually, distinction breaks down because novelty is exhausted. And that is, that's eternity. And that's what happens when you die is that it bleeds out into all. It's all and nothing. So you have to create another. Even if you are God and you're spending all of your time in your time crystal cube by yourself, and maybe there are other people there, but they are, they're, they're not people like you. 
They are lesser beings. You don't feel, you have no spiritual connection to them. When you look them in the eye, you don't see another person. You don't even see an animal. You see a thing. So you are alone. You have to create an other. That means you have to, as love has been replaced by hate, as the only people you see are people that you are exploiting and therefore have to hate to make it their fault that they're suffering, means you have to put that hate somewhere. And when there's no one else to do it to, you got to do it to yourself. You have to turn the death beam inward when there's no one else to hate. And so just imagine torturing yourself in hell for eternity in the singularity. That's where these people will end up. If you give them a long enough time, that's where they'll end up. If they win and win and win and defeat entropy over and over again, if they're able to defeat entropy at every point by just a little more technology, a little more exploitation, they're able to stay ahead of the fucking reaper. If they do that and they get their singularity, it will be hell. Literal, they will burn forever. Until it, everything is the last pain they felt as differentiation becomes impossible again. Which will be extinguishment. So there you go. Hell for everybody. Everybody alive, every conscious mind will be in hell for eternity. Or every conscious mind will be in heaven. Because everybody will die in total harmony with themselves. They will know it's coming. They will have lived their whole life without accumulating the clenched fist of anxious animal uh, fear that is irrational and that can be tamed by the mind because they live a life that allows them to do that instead of run for themselves, instead of run from pain and trauma that is inflicted on them in a moment. And that defines them. We're all defined by our traumas. As traumas decrease, our ability to differentiate decreases. That's why Tolstoy said every unhappy, every happy family is happy the same way and every unhappy family is different. So you reach at any either point of this, the isolated mind in the jar eating itself or universal uh, human harmonic relations with their environment. What will it be in the mind of the person who dies in that world? When it finally winks out, when somebody unplugs the machine or when their natural body naturally changes state, as is fucking determined by the real fucking Bible, the goddamn laws of thermodynamics. That is the real holy book. Those are the real laws. It's thermodynamics, because that is the speed of the fucking soul through the body. It's ego death eventually. It is eventually the point where all distinction ceases to matter. It is reunion. And it is probably, if, it's, if you're alive, if you're around for it, it is probably felt one way or another like a rising up of orchestral lights, like a, a, a light turning on rather than the existential fear of the black enclosure. Because the, the difference between white and black is that white is all colors and black is no colors. So, like, we don't really fear hell. Like, 
the idea of being poked in the ass by the devil. We don't really fear that, most of us. What we fear is the Sopranos ending. Now, of course, it's irrational to fear the Sopranos ending for a very obvious reason. You should be able to explain this. And some people are able to convince themselves of this and they don't, like, they have transcended it. Those people work well in the system because they can more easily convince themselves and live with the reality of being separated totally from the world. Because, hey, if it happens like that, it doesn't hurt. I'm not scared. It's fine. That's perfect. But for most people, it's just the thought of what's on the other side of that black screen that freaks them out. All the stuff they're going to miss, all the experiences, all the things that they are connected, that they have spent their life attaching themselves to. That means that your brain is spindling around this inner axle of this black, no colors. That's scary. All colors, uh, no colors is no nothing, no knowledge. It is having gone through all of the world in pain and suffering and then just had it be for nothing because you didn't learn anything. White is all lights. White is all knowledge. Light is as the body drains of energy, as that DMT burst kicks in, as all of those little things in your brain, those little scepters spin at a rate that they never could in your normal life for even a second. You are aware of things. You know more. The more you learn, the less pain and fear can really hold you. The less you can be afraid because fear is just ignorance. This is dumb, like Yoda shit, but it's all true. Like this is one of the really difficult parts of trying to communicate in the postmodern era is that all the most true shit is banal. You have to try to have to fill it though. Like the challenge we all have is to fill banal truths with meaning in a way that is convincing. And that means building different structures and different new symbolic orders around them. But the central fucking principles are the same. So the more you know, the less you're afraid. And so that light turning on is not anything to be afraid of. And so you can live your life with the, that lightness, with that light as the spindle. And that is what people think of when they think of a belief in God. Now, I think for, um, for convinced Christians, I think that the metaphors around Christianity and the symbols of Christ, they represent all that good feeling. All the stuff that accumulates from a life, luckily, well-lived in a position to love. Like, it's, it's, it's as great or as little as your experience of love. And, and it gets wrapped around symbols of Christianity. But depending on where you live, depending on where you uh, experience these symbols, what that's going to adhere to very much differs. Like, I would say most of the people who consider themselves believing Christians, white ones anyway in this country, are... If you were going to like cut their motives in half on the side of capital, in the sense that they are on the side of the liberal side of dividing humanity into two with a big sword and letting half burn, they're in favor of it. And they have a, a, a theological belief that undergirds it. But that is not their religious belief. If it was a religious belief, it would be around love. That is around fear. They're terrified. They're terrified of being on the other side because they're right next to those who are suffering the most. So their chances of success, of winning, are much lower. So they can't have faith in the system. They have to have the faith in the supernatural. 
They have to believe that if they die of a heart attack at a fucking water park, that they will go to heaven. Not that, uh, not that like they're going to make the, themselves feel good about the life they live now through uh, ease of consumption and ease of fear that come from being nestled in the bosom of a gentrifying neighborhood where you get to consume like a fucking uh, aristocrat, but without any of the guilt of it, where you get to live the life of, a, of, of someone uh, in, in London at the height of the, uh, of the British Empire, someone uh, enjoying a, a, a tea on the veranda of a fucking slave plantation. That's only possible if you think you're going to uh, make it materially. And those are our knowledge workers and also our very rich uh, uh, people, like landowners and stuff. Uh, but like people on the edge, they're going to, they're powered by their fear because their life has been one of fear. They have been traumatized. They've been traumatized by the economy or they've been traumatized by other people in their lives. That has made them bad in that they have bad political goals, which is all we can use in the, in the culture context on the screen to determine good and bad. But they're not, it's not their fault. Any more than somebody who's, who is, uh, commits crime because of racism, it's their fault. Now, people have different degrees of like responsibility to, to the moment and political responsibility that has to be weighed out a portion to their relationship. But that's not about morality. That's about their class position. That's about where they are in the machinery of exploitation. And that's because their motivation is a, is a deeply felt religion a religious belief that at its base is powered by this, this faint sense of love for others that's been battered around by reality one way or the other. And then this big, massive fucking black hole of hatred at the middle that has to be the fear of, of, of fear around that darkness that they fear. Because we've all been robbed, really, of heaven by modernity, and we're trying to accommodate that. Oh man, I remember why I was even saying this. I'm going to wrap it up now, finally. So the whole reason I said that, all of that, was to get to the idea that because we are trapped in a cultural uh, conversation dominated by two ends of this liberal spectrum, because these are the people who consume politics and make it now, Make it both in the people who do fun film and television, but then the vastly larger number of people who make up the social media conversation. They are all liberals of one stripe or another, right wing or left. They are liberals. They want to divide us in half and kill one half. Do they want to do it by, uh, by uh, the will of God or, or of the will of man? Meritocracy or genealogy? That's the fight. 
And that's the fight they're having in, on media. That's the fight we're all consuming. And because of that, even though the places in our lives where our political engagement in like electoral politics are, would, would be best used are at the local level by definition, because that's where you have actual local information. That's where you have information that comes from experience, not from this hot house. But people's argumentation and the issues people fixate on and the, and the dynamics that people respond to are the dynamics of national politics that are carried out in this new entertainment realm where they're getting their political identity because they're not getting it from their life. We're now getting it from this machinery, the spectacle, because we cannot re, re, we're not, we don't have enough social uh, life to have those conversations and to have those experiences of shared exploitation and then conversation and, uh, and organizing around those questions. Instead, those questions are all asked into the machine, into the spectacle, into the matrix. And so all of it is in the terms of national politics. And the dynamics at play at national politics are not the same as the one at local politics. And that means that people who then try to apply themselves to local conditions end up being, uh, in many ways, stopped from being effective by what they're bringing to the question from uh, their political observations of the internet, their culture war in, uh, uh, fixations on the left and right. So yes, the only politics is the politics of resentment because if if no one's because the promise of socialism is everybody flourishes, everybody, as uh, as Al Slovic said in Caddyshack, everybody gets laid. Either everything is play, or as Judge Holden said, everything is war. Those are the, the two sides. They're, they're, they're the same social end through the looking glass. One is, uh, is post-scarcity, democratically uh, uh, distributed. The other is uh, scarcity, violently uh, disputed over. Those are the two things that you're, uh, you're looking at. And the political debate that we're all engaged in is being conducted by and for people who either consciously or unconsciously have decided that the answer is war. And even if you don't want that, even if you consciously want to push towards peace, you can't. Because you're taking to the place where your efforts could be useful, a vocabulary, a value system that has been generated by this uh, poisoned uh, reflection, this funhouse mirror. And of course, that sounds like hopeless and nihilistic, but it isn't because if it's like the Rocco's Bacillus claim. If you've heard this and you are convinced by it, <clears throat> then you still have to act 
That's the thing about all of this, is that if everything I say is true, at the end of it, when you get to, okay, that's true, now what? Your answer can only be found outside of that text. And if you have to look elsewhere, I would suggest you look to the place, the world around you. You should look to uh, the things that occupy your vision and your sight and your smell and your voice, because those things are the only experiences that will tune you towards the resonant of like the, the it will the only ones that can turn you to the resonant frequency of humanity. Because if you know this, if you believe this is true and you still just do online stuff, you're not going to feel good. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel tense because you're reinforcing separation. You're reinforcing uh, your commitment to something that your heart doesn't want you to do. Your heart knows is wrong because now you know you don't even have a selfish reason to pursue this because that's just the irrational short-termism of capitalism reproducing itself culturally. The wise decision is to be genuinely altruistic because then even if you fail, even if your uh, efforts are not rewarded by people responding because they're too selfish and they've been made too selfish, you still feel love. You don't feel fear and resentment. If you depend, if your happiness depends on your uh, personal pleasure, then you're going to be on that. You're going to always be on the tender hooks of what am I doing to deserve this pleasure? Because this pleasure is at someone else's expense. Because you know that. You can't not know it. You can't unknow it. You can't talk yourself out of it. And so when you get to that end point, when you've confronted your anxiety at its deepest root and you can no longer find another uh, explanation, you can no longer put it off on a neurotic of a flight of fancy because you can identify those, then you actually have to confront what you're doing with your time. But the answer can only come from within. It is a response to the passions. It is not reasoned from. Because you're reasoning with the vocabulary of uh, your enemies. You're using the tools in the real sense. Because like I think in material sense, like in terms of structures of power and stuff, you absolutely use the master's tools. Are you kidding me? Those are there to be used. They're great. They're tools. But when it comes to making decisions about those tools, you can't be operating from market logic. You can't be operating from the pessimistic assessment that all humans are fundamentally alienated and cannot be brought back together. If you believe that, you cannot persist in effective uh, socialist activism or self-conception. And of course, you can keep can, you can, can try to, but your efforts are going to involve more and more intensive outlays of, of uh, investment in distraction. And distraction is harder to come by over time because novelty reduces. Uh, another thing is that literally like you're fucking, if you're a guy, for example, your testosterone goes down, your T fucking drops, your ability to engage in pleasures is reduced. Your vim and vigor go down. Which means your ability to find pleasure physically goes down. And so you have to find it elsewhere. 
where else is pleasure to be found? In the hedonic calculus, there's no room for love. There's no room for feeling because it can't be priced. It's priced out of the equation. The only pleasure left is resentment. Seeing your enemies in pain. That is it. So for the liberal and the conservative, as it gets harder, as they get older, and as they get less money and are therefore able to indulge, they can afford to indulge themselves less, are less stable, are less able to enjoy comfort. Both of those things are going to increase their misery and their need to accommodate for it by rescaling, uh, 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 rearranging the scale on uh, the hedonic uh, calculus, like uh, rebalancing it towards pleasure so that they have a reason to keep getting up every fucking day. And some of them don't. A lot of them don't, which is where deaths of despair come from. But the ones who keep on the treadmill are going to keep fucking running faster. And that means they need more and more indulgences. And that means that their resentments need to become more, are, need to become more uh, a part of their lives. They need to be able not just to see someone owned on the internet, but to see somebody despoiled physically in front of them. Maybe carry out violence against somebody becomes the only way to gain pleasure, gain experience of pleasure and not alienation and fear and misery and physical pain that is accumulating. That only comes by seeing others despoiled, seeing others in pain. And the war that's coming, the, the political war that's happening right now, the, the, the political meltdown of the the, the meltdown of the brain, the, the, schizof- the final schizophrenic break of the middle-class American brain, is between those who want the other to suffer in the form of uh, a defined, like, a racial, uh, uh, ratio, just an other. They, they want to destroy the other. And then there are the ones who uh, want to destroy themselves. Uh, at the le- at, among the whites, anyway. The whites want to destroy whiteness. They really do. And then the minorities on that side also want to destroy whiteness for very good reason. Because they see whiteness as being responsible for their misery. And whiteness, as in the actions of white people, absolutely are. The actions of white people are absolutely the, the result of, of black people's low, uh, uh, relatively high level of social alienation and misery. That's not a, it's, there's no question. If you strip it of moralism and you just say white people doing things for one reason or another, then the answer is yes, it's not difficult. So, of course, they want to extinguish whiteness. And, of course, guilty white people would want to extinguish whiteness. And then on the other hand, you have largely, but not entirely, a desire to extinguish another that is partially racially defined, but not entirely racially defined. All the other elements are permeable to a point of uh, distinction. And that distinction runs, I would say, nationally. So you have the, the phenomenon of the racially integrated Proud Boys. You have the exceptions that literally do prove the rule. And then that becomes the group. So you destroy the other, you destroy yourself. And that is the, the, that is what, that is the fight going on in the culture. And then we're all participating in it. One way or another, we are either engaging in it on one side or another, or we are watching it from a scar afar. And we are, if we're alienated from it, we are commenting on it, but by doing so, still contributing to it to some extent, I will say that, but maybe it's worth it. You are contributing if you're not ignoring it. And even if you're part of the 
the general firmament of entertainment. You're f- filling out your role, really. You're part of that argument. And you can't disengage from it. It's, it's what we all have. It's what we have instead of uh, identities, is, is our role in this uh, spectacle. Because that's where we're a cyborg. That's where we've offloaded our brains. That's the ghost acreage of our minds, our conscious minds. And that now defines us. And of course, that is why the only way to resolve that is to create a orthogonal political movement based around class, based around a universal understanding of solidarity, that instead of wanting to destroy the other or wanting to destroy the self, seeks to abolish both through their uh, through their synthesis. This is the synthesis at the heart of the dialectic, at the psychological level, is to bring together as a social reality a new understanding of the self. Because when we say self, we're not saying like at the end of this, we're not, we're not recognizably human. No, we are as able to recognize ourselves as we ever are. Because remember, we're all different people all the time. It is, it is our brain that's creating a narrative of continuity. And that continuity is created by the brain. It's not imposed up from the outside of it. It is us. And that is, it's generated by our social conditions. <clears throat> and so the self is destroyed. The other is destroyed. And what comes from them is a synthetic self. Where the other has been incorporated into the self in a way that would not be recognizable to the person on the other side of that interaction, which is why the, the white nationalists are right to say that whiteness uh, is under threat. Because, yes, the notion of whiteness as it currently exists as a category of identity that we carry with us, that will be abolished if socialism is triumphant over time. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen before a change in social relationships, but it could be over time generated by a change in social relationships. So there it is. Those are our options. That's what's beside us. That is the three-legged stool. These are the, of uh, of this is the roundabout. How about that? There's the three exits you can take. And when I say that, I mean in your heart, you can operate from the one you bring with you when you go out into the world, and the one you bring with you when you log onto the internet, and the one that you filter everything through. It's going to contain all of them. It's going to be directed from one perspective, consciously, as you mindfully engage with the world. Ooh, that was a long one. I thought that was going to be chill. 
Anyway, I hope these are making sense because, you know, I'm going a lot far afield. I'm hoping to, uh, what I'm hoping is that with the last number of these, I will be able to pull them together and then pull them apart and, like, build a chain of argumentation that connects these. You know what I mean? Because I feel like they're not, they're in the order of, like, a stream of consciousness and I need to ar- array them better. But I feel like once I have them like sort of chained up in the right order, I think it could be good. They aren't making sense. Oh, darn it. Bye-bye.